in this episode of the Live Damn Well podcast. Compound interest, good thing. Compounding bad calorie after bad calorie, not such a good thing, <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. and, and, and I grew outward, not upward. And uh, by age 14, I, I remember going in because I had some health issues into my early teen and, and mid-teen years. I, I started to really have asthma affect me almost all the time, you know, and the doctor pulling my mom out of the office and like, hey, get the end. Your, your, your son died. Yeah, he, he's morbidly obese. <laughs> you know, me not understanding what morbidly nor obese meant at that time. Didn't sound good. Uh, and then once I understood what that meant, I was like, okay, well, you're just giving me a label for what I've already emotionally and psychologically realized I had an issue. And that was the thing that really opened my eyes. Like this whole nutrition thing is so damn confusing. No wonder the rest of the world's so freaking confused. Like you look at back in time magazine, back in the eighties, they had a cover that said, well, basically it vilified butter, yes. you know, and eggs. They talked about fats are bad, right? right. Like, and it vilified it. Right. And this is the mainstream. You come up into the early, you know, 2010, 2011, Time does another cover, butter's on the cover, sorry. And they talk about the health benefits of eating lots right. of butter. And it was yes. like, <laughs> dude, within 30 years, one lifetime, you've got two contradictory covers on a very well-respected media outlet. My name is Jorge Roman, author of Return to Human, certified health coach in training, metabolically flexible individual, and insulin sensitive human. In this podcast, I will relentlessly ask, why is there so much conflicting information about health, nutrition, and lifestyle recommendations? Is there more to the story? Or are those individuals involved with natural and alternative health just a bunch of pseudoscientific quacks? I will often have solo episodes discussing relevant scientific research around nutrition, supplementation, powerful lifestyle practices, and will sometimes be joined by two friends and co-hosts. I'll also be interviewing thought leaders from all walks of life in an attempt to discover what truly makes someone sick or healthy. I will do this with no agendas, no dogma, just truth, regardless of the fact that I will inevitably trigger some narrow-minded and myopic individuals. To live damn well doesn't mean living life perfectly. We're all gonna die someday, so striving for ultimate health is a pretty counterproductive goal. Rather, I hope to learn for myself and empower others to fulfill their purpose and enjoy life, all while being disease-free, energetic, and in control of their biology. I believe humanity already has all of the tools to create a life which is disease-free and highly fulfilling. Now we just need to do the hardest part, cutting through the divisive, arrogant, and closed-mindedness which holds us all back from creating the world we deeply desire. Thank you for joining me on this journey, and I hope to help you on yours. Welcome to the Live Damn Well podcast. My name is Jorge Roman, and my guest today is Di Manuel, author, distinguished Toastmaster and keynote speaker and executive performance coach. Di, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Jorge. Again, do I say it right? Like, I got to yeah, ask, you know, absolutely, the way you yeah. say it sounds a lot different than when I say it. <laughs> well, one can only hope that people pronounce it like I do. That's too idealistic what I found. Uh, you know, ever since I was in, in elementary school, I, it would be George pretty much. And that right. would be the best yeah. thing I could hope for, the best way of butchering it. So honestly, the fact that you said it that way is already up here. So all right. Well, yeah. that's, that's, uh, I'm glad to hear that. So I'll, 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 I'll try 
try to keep doing it the right way. <laughs> My grandfather's name was George. Oh, okay. uh, obviously, he spelt it the traditional way, right. George. And uh, but so when I saw your spelling, I, I, I uh, you know, when I started looking around your platform, I was like, oh yeah, I, it's it's Jorge. So uh, yes. I got it. I got yeah. it. But you know, I am Canadian, and uh, my accent uh, comes through at times, and. Uh, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Still better, <laughs> still better than the American accent I found, though. <laughs> yeah, it depends, right? I, I've got yeah. some clients in Texas, and uh, one of which uh, thick accent. I'm like, holy, it's yeah. just awesome, right? When you think about it, it's like you get on a plane, I can be there in like five hours, and yet the dialect is so different, right? Oh yeah, it's, uh, just goes to show, yeah, we, we might be very much alike, but there are so many differences too. Anyways, yes. I'm, I'm honored to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, for of course. Thank you for coming on. As I said, like it was a, it was a cool uh, conversation that you had with uh, Mitch's podcast. And uh, I was actually looking into a few other interviews that you did uh, back in like 2011 on YouTube. And um, so I, I actually saw something that you, you didn't mention in the other interviews, which was uh, you know, how you got into fitness with, uh, you know, childhood obesity and wanting to get fit. And that was something I resonated with because, you know, when I was four through probably like 12 years old, I was that overweight, really chubby kid that also faced the same, like very similar, you know, problems with, with classmates just picking on me and, and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, I wanted to get your thoughts on, on all of that, on that journey. Well, you know, I've been someone like yourself, you've been around wellness for a long time, or at least more on the athletic side, right? Like with your swimming career, especially like it's, I mean, you, you realize that food is very much a fuel source <laughs> and it is our like primary fuel source, and, but it makes a big difference, right? The, the types of quality of food versus maybe convenient type food. Uh, it makes a big impact in our performance. And uh, you know, I, I didn't have that awareness as a kid and uh, to be fair, um, when I think back to it, you know, from the age of nine to 14, my lifestyle was not conducive for healthy and active. Okay. I was very much the opposite. And, and as much as someone that's found a career in, in the wellness space, uh, I didn't come to it naturally. I came from the opposite end of the spectrum, which is, is actually more common than, than I, I believe, because I, I look even, you know, when we talked before we hit record here, you, you were sharing that, you know, just what you experienced through swimming, recognizing that there was, there's got to be a better way, you know, there's got to be a way to really tap in and, and figure out how to do things. So we're, our energy is more like consistent, right? right? Versus this sort of roller coaster, I think a lot of us are accustomed to, you know, you wake up in the morning and you feel like, man, says I was in bed for seven hours, but I sure don't feel like I slept seven hours, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and mid afternoon, if you're Canadian and you're not heading for a double double at Tim Hortons with donut, uh, you're a weirdo, you know, because that is like the norm, right? You go and you grab a coffee, you get a, something sugary in the mid afternoon for a pick me up. Yes. And, and, so we, we have these norms, I, I say, and, and my family has definitely fell into the norms. And, and so a lot of those behaviors were modeled to me very early on. You know, I, we didn't really talk about nutrition or the types of foods we ate. Where today, you know, especially bringing up my own kids who are now into their teen years, you know, those are regular conversations we've had ever since they could comprehend. <laughs> and even before then, we would tell them, you know. Uh, so, so things have shifted. And I have to, so when I take it back to sort of where I 
started from, I, I want that context to be represented because the world is different now. We have more access to information. I mean, I'm older than Google, right? So uh, as I tell my kids, I'm like, yeah, I went to the library to learn all this stuff. And they're like, whoa, dad, you Google it? I'm like, no, no, I'm older than Google. Uh, I had to do it the old school way. But uh, growing up, it, it, you know, in my early teens in the 80s, um, it, it was just an interesting time. You know, my, my parents were one of uh, only one other set of parents in my class, you know, with an, another kid in my class had parents that were separating or, or had already divorced. So, you know, today it's a lot more normal, you know, like over 50% of relationships end in, in separation and divorce, which is, I mean, that's pretty startling when you think about it. Uh, back then, though, in the early to mid 80s, it wasn't a norm. And, you know, like I said, it was one of the kids. So emotionally, I felt a lot of stress, a little bit of anxiety. My world as I knew it was rocked. And it was a very traumatic experience at age nine to hear this from my parents. And, uh, and then to have to adapt and adjust to this two household concept. And, and really, we'd see my dad every other weekend. And we'd see my mom was raising my brother and I full time. Meanwhile, working full-time, as well as going back to school full-time to level up her education and get her master's. So you can imagine it, it left my brother and I by ourselves a lot. Well, <laughs> I learned very quickly, very quickly, that if I eat certain types of foods and I do certain types of activities, I can feel good in the moment. Those quick little hits, those instant gratification moments. So I learned that if I ate foods that were fairly, let's just say low in nutritional value, high in calories, <laughs> I, I would get this little emotional lift. You know, I'd feel better in the moment while I was eating. And, you know, whether it be ice cream or baked goods or, you know, pizzas, like just really refined foods at that time, a lot of which came out of the box because of convenience, recognize my mom was busy. She'd buy us foods. My brother and I would be left to fend for ourselves at times, especially during the week, not on weekends, but during the week. And uh, so we would have a lot of these foods that we could heat up in the microwave <laughs> or out of the box straight into the oven, right? And uh, that on top of video games and movies, you know, those were again, dopamine hits, ways of sort of distracting myself, keeping myself busy in the moment and, and just really tuning out the rest of the world. And it doesn't sound so bad to do that every once in a while, because believe me, I, I, I'm just as much as the next person, Netflix and chill nights, I am all for it, man. <laughs> but when it happens day in, day out for a period of five years, I, I think we all know enough that you know, compound interest, good thing. Compounding bad calorie after bad calorie, not such a good thing, <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. and, and, and I grew outward, not upward. And uh, by age 14, I, I remember going in because I had some health issues. Uh, my asthma got really, really bad. I had asthma from a young child, as, as a younger kid, it was diagnosed, but it was usually due to animal dandruff. So if I got around animals, I would have asthmatic issues. But now, you know, into my early teen and, and mid-teen years, I, I started to really have asthma affect me almost all the time, you know, which was affected based on my weight gain, you know, and the doctor pulling my mom out of the office and like, hey, Betty Ann, your, your, your son died. Yeah, he, he's morbidly obese. <laughs> you know, me not understanding what morbidly nor obese meant at that time, didn't sound good. Uh, yeah. And then once I understood what that meant, I was like, okay, well, you're just giving me a label for what I've already emotionally and psychologically realized I had an issue <clears throat> because, you know, going to school, I would forge mom's signature. So I wouldn't have to do phys ed class because getting changed in front of my peers, no way. No, thank you very, very much. Nope. <laughs> uh, also, you know, in the summertime, 
any like parties, pool parties, get togethers. No, I'm not available or I'm sick or whatever. I, I just got really good at just withdrawing from everybody and, and being on my own. Cause when you're feeling depressed, you're feeling sad, feeling very self-conscious and self-aware. Uh, these are tendencies. They're very real tendencies. You know, I was hurting, I was hurting a lot. And uh, so I found it easier just hurt on my own. Don't express my emotions. Don't share what's going on. Just deal with it because this is mine to deal with. And, and that's what I believed. And uh, then at age 14, I hit what I feel was my rock bar bottom in, in that limited scope of life. <laughs> you, can, you know, because people are like, wow, you were only 14. And you felt like you hit rock bottom. Well, yeah, I kind of did, you know, based on my limited scope in life up to that point, you know, half of my, my time span was spent in this state of unhealth, you know, and yeah, it was tough. Because I don't remember what it was like to be healthy, to be happy. My right. norm was now feeling the way I was. And, and when you're in that place and you feel that's your normal, that that's just the way things are, it can feel pretty scary, you know? And, and so obviously thoughts of, of maybe it'd be easier if I wasn't here started yeah. to enter my mind. And yeah. it never really occurred to me before. I mean, obviously there's those moments you might entertain, gosh, it'd just be easier if I didn't have to deal with this, right? And, and but then I really started to think on that. It's like, well, what would it be like? You know, maybe right. that would be the easier way because admittedly it took me five years to get to this point and I don't see the next five years being any better if I keep living life this way. Maybe it's easier to stand it. That wasn't really an option, you know, because I started thinking about my parents. I started mm -hmm. thinking about my brother. I started thinking about the fact that I actually wanted to live. I just didn't want to live unhappy. And so here I found myself a bit of a conundrum and because I was like, okay, well, <laughs> here I am, morbidly obese. I hate myself. I don't even like looking at my reflection nor seeing myself in any images. Like I'd even watch how I'd walk down the street because if there was too many windows, I, I'd be worried about taking a look and having to see my reflection in the window, shop windows, you know? Like it was, it was that, and it's weird, right? Like in thinking back on it, it's amazing how I could compromise my own life in order to avoid being reminded of that state of health or unhealth that I was in. And uh, because it brought you a lot this. of pain. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and I think many people can relate to this because I think we've all been there or maybe we are there right now. And it, it feels really lonely when you're there, really lonely. As much as my parents loved me and wanted to support me, every time they offered to help, I would take it as a personal attack. I would act out, you know, they would come and say, Hey, we'd love to get you a gym membership or how about going to try this sport? Or mm -hmm. maybe we, we go to the hospital, we'd meet with that nice nutritionist. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and me at, at that age, I'm like, you're just telling me I'm, I'm fat. You're telling me I need to change. You're telling me you don't like me how I am. That's all I heard. Right. Right. Like I, I didn't think anything other than when they came to me with those kinds of suggestions. So, you know, here was this one day at my dad's place and I'm coming out of the shower and the mirror which normally, because I had a great hack, you know, or I would stay in the shower extra long, make sure it was extra hot. So when I would come out, the mirror would be covered in condensation, you know, like get all fogged up. So I wouldn't have to look at myself while I was toweling off. Yet this one Saturday morning while I'm at my dad's place and he's rushing my brother and I to get out to some appointment. I, I don't even recall what it is. I mean, we could have been going bowling. I don't know. But he's like knocking on the door. He's like, fun day. hurry up. We got to go. It's got to be a fast one today. Go. And, and so I respected that. Had a fast shower, but because I got out of the shower so quick, I'm toweling off and I can see my profile in the mirror. 
And, and for some reason, I decided to turn. And I locked eyes. And I hadn't done that for a while up to this point. And I freaking hated that guy looking back at me. Like, I didn't even know who it was. I was disgusted. I was like, I can't even believe that's me. I hate you. I hate this. And I remember grabbing my stomach and just like jiggling it. And just like, all of a sudden, just released. Uncontrollable sobbing. There's no pretty crying here. It was all ugly cry, you know? It was like just full on. And and here I'm trying to towel off and I'm getting just as wet <laughs> from my tears. And uh, I, I just have this thought that I can't do this anymore. What if, what if I embrace this fear I have for the unknown? Because that was really what I had. It was either I keep living the life I'm living doing the things I'm doing, but I have to be honest with myself, five years, 10 years, 20 years from now, it's never going to be better than it is right now. And that's not something to look forward to. Meanwhile, alternatively, I could just try to do something different to produce different results. But I have no idea how to do that. I don't know what I'm going to do. don't know when to do it. Like I, I would just a lot of unknowns because I was afraid that I just didn't know. Afraid of failure, like all sorts of fears, right? We, we all deal with this all the time. Those little voices in our head are really damn noisy at times. And, and they were deafening that day. And yet I was like, you know what? I'm going to be healthy. I'm going to be happy. I left that, that, that bathroom. I got dressed. I came out to the living room, saw my dad. And I was like, dad, I want to get healthy. I want to be fitter. I, I don't want to be like this anymore. And, you know, as the saying goes, strike the iron when it's hot. My dad must have seen something in me at that moment because <laughs> he was like, we're going to act on this right away. <laughs> you know, like there's, there's clearly some motivation here. Let's not let this fizzle. Let's and uh, so we went out and bought a mountain bike because I, I wasn't going to work out in a gym. I wasn't going to go to a community center. I, like there's no way I was going to do anything around people because I was so self-conscious. And so I wanted an activity I could do on my own. And obviously something that was workable into my lifestyle at that point and so biking i remember i always loved biking as a kid and so buying a mountain bike uh, and i just started to ride every day like just go out and go for a ride i lived in a fairly rural part of of, of the province i lived just outside toronto so a smaller town and so it wouldn't take long to get to the outskirts and it was just all farmland orchards and, and, and little hills and stuff and uh, so i embraced this idea of just moving my body went to the library got books on nutrition you know, and uh, there wasn't a lot of options other than like more medical type books, right? Like books written for nutritionists and dietitians. And, and there was a couple that I found though, like The Zone Diet by Dr. Barry Sears, you know, and I, I really liked that. Also, there were some works by, uh, I'm trying to remember some of the other ones. I think it was Optimum Nutrition <laughs> was another one I found. Either way, there was, there was a limited amount, right? And, uh, but I started to just edu educate myself on the basics, just the building blocks of nutrition, macronutrients, what happens in our body from a, a foundational level when we eat foods. Because I've, I understood that. And as I educated myself on how to read a label and observe what types of foods I was getting, especially because at that point, I was eating a lot of box foods. It was a big shift for me, a big shift. But I was consistent every day. I get it for a ride. I changed how I fed myself. And crazy enough, after about 20 months of repeating that <laughs> fairly regularly, fairly consistently, I realized a new lifestyle. I changed. I lost that weight. I also kickstarted puberty a little bit more, you know, which is a nice thing, you know, as a prepubescent male and my, my 
a lot of things had been slowed based on my state of obesity. And as soon as I started losing the weight, doing some resistance training, changing how I fed myself, amazing. Like just the body all of a sudden started to catch up, you know, started producing a bit more testosterone, which also helped my cause, right? And right. so there was all these little factors that sort of played into me realizing that weight release over the next 20 months. And then I just got to a point where it was just the way I live my life. And haven't really changed ever since, you know, I, I've obviously had periods in, in my life where things have fallen off, you know, and I think we all have those moments. Like you look at the year we just had, I mean, a lot of people have experienced that, right? It's like, there's just life is dynamic and it's always changing. So we're always doing our best with where we find ourselves in the moment. But uh, I'm very grateful that that big obstacle that I ran, I ran up against, you know, at such an early age uh, taught me that change was possible. Right. You know, that's, that's something that is it's the is, biggest one. Yeah, exactly. And it's something that I'm so passionate about. And it's something that I've talked to a lot of um, the people that I've interviewed on the podcast, um, because really all of these lobbying groups with, uh, you know, processed grains and things like that, that are, um, you know, kind of alien to us in terms of um, the amount of time that we've been here on earth. And, you know, it's, it's really kind of a crime what's being done to children, because as you said, the development is being delayed. And that's a crucial piece of development where if they're not getting the right nutrients, where if they're overeating on crappy foods that are nutrient depleted, they're being set up for a life, which is more likely to be depressed, more likely to have anxiety, more likely to have type two diabetes, obesity, and all of these things. Right. Yes. Yes. So well said. And you're spot on, right? Like even as good as the governing bodies responsible for some of the, the, the guidelines as it relates to, 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 diet, nutrition, right? Like when you really start looking at the lobbyists and some of the history there, I mean, it, it doesn't take someone to be very well versed in this to realize there's some connections. There's some influence there. You know, there's some bias. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, without getting into details, there's a lot of documentaries that cover this way better than I can. And I'm sure in some of your past conversations, interviews and, and your own research, or you, you can speak to this much more eloquently than I can. But what I'll tell you is that, you know, our DNA, us as a species, we're extremely resilient. We are. I mean, the human species, look at us. We, we've covered this planet. Now, climate change experts will, will say that we're overly resilient at times. But regardless, here we are. And we, we adapt very, very quickly, you know. And, and yet, the way we've eaten for most of the time we've been human beings right homo sapiens it really hasn't changed much with the right. exception especially since the industrial revolution there's been a lot of advancements especially with science as it relates to how we engineer foods now so we have to start wondering you know like all these rapid changes we've experienced in the last century let alone the last 50 years is there going to be a negative impact long term and i, I don't think it has to be long term what we're seeing the impact like i look at childhood obesity Back in the early 80s, you wouldn't find those two words in the same sentence typically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't a normal thing. We're now trying to find childhood and obesity not in a sentence together, much more challenging because it's it's a very real concern now. So why? Why is that? Right? And uh, so I, I like to think that there's lots of clues being left. It's just whether we're tuning in and picking them up, right? Right. And a bigger a big part of it too is the the change in 
agricultural practices. So let's say early 1900s, we had a very large percentage of Americans who were farmers themselves. They literally ate off of what they made. <laughs> and now we have a, a tiny percentage of people who are making their own food and eating it as fresh as possible, not uh, sitting in a shell for a few months before they eat it. That's a big change, dietary pattern change right there. Absolutely. And also, I mean, just when you start looking at GMO, right? Like, I mean, we still don't really understand the repercussions, that, right. if any. Like, I'm not here to say, oh, there won't be any repercussions or there will be. I mean, there's, I just don't think there's enough known yet, right. you know, on the long-term side of things. Like, even I, I have an autoimmune disease. And uh, so I'm hyper aware of how food can impact or ultimately certain types of foods with a certain type of lifestyle. So if I'm not paying attention to some of the, my, my daily self-care practices, right? Mm -hmm. Like just basic ones, like a little bit of meditation. So stress management, right? Also some good mental health flossing, right? Like just trying to like floss my teeth. I, I, I try to do things to, to make sure my mental health is in a very good space, you know, as best I can. And, and then watching what I eat, like little basics, but it, it leaves us wondering, you know, like, Everything that we know about food is based on what? I, I mean, what I mean by this is like, how much nutrition education did you get in school, grade school? Oh, yeah. I mean, even doctors that I've interviewed, they've told me they get two to five hours of training their whole career of medicine. Yet it's the one thing that we pretty much have to do every day. You know, and, and, and it just, it, it baffles me at times. You know, it just does. It just, like, what if we place the emphasis on living the best life and we looked at daily movement we looked at nutrition we looked at mental health like we prioritize some of those aspects what would the world look like I'm, I'm just curious you know like what would it look like you know like because really i mean that's what we need to thrive right like right. i mean sure there's lots of other things i mean there's a lot of make work projects like i look at the internet and i think it's a fabulous tool but it's it's a lot of make work right like i look at all the digital landscape of work today like just the way we work i look at the way i work and i'm like holy smokes you know i work on yeah. my computer yeah. you know i coach people all over the world you know i'm even doing keynotes now but all virtually or before it used to be in person at conferences at events it's just like wild like but we can adapt we can change so that leaves me with a lot of optimism right you know like i look at it, the world's adapted the way we work's adapted well, why can't we adapt more around nutrition? <laughs> Damn it. You well, know? Two, it's like, two reasons come to mind. Two big reasons. Yeah? I mean, one that I've underestimated, and I've talked a lot about this with my friends mm -hmm. and my family, is the convenience factor is huge. Mm -hmm. People want to eat crappy food. They, like, they don't care. Like A lot of people that I've talked to simply, like they know that it's bad for them, but convenience is so right. such a big part of it. I mean, that is understated, I think. Yes. Um, another part of it is the pharmaceutical model is completely based off of just treating symptoms and yeah. not, I mean, like you said, practitioners aren't trained in lifestyle-based interventions. They're trained on, okay, someone is sick now. Now at the point where they're sick and they've accumulated all this compound interest of shitty habits, now is when we'll give them a pill, which won't do anything for their overall health. It'll just treat symptoms. Today, I want to interrupt the show to talk about Hue Kitchen. Especially if you're fumbling to find a gift for this upcoming Valentine's Day, you should probably listen up too. 
Now, after being disappointed by some of the styrofoam tasting health foods on the market, co-founders Jordan Brown, Jason Karp, and Jessica Karp founded Hue Kitchen with a focus on getting back to human. Now, I have tried pretty much everything they have to offer and I can't recommend them highly enough. I mean, they offer fully organic, grain-free, paleo foods like delicious crackers with a hint of rosemary, dark chocolate lightly sweetened with organic coconut sugar and filled with almond butter, organic raspberries, hazelnut butter, or even cashew butter. So they're great to give as health conscious gifts for friends or family. And if you don't have a significant other, just give them for yourself. No judgment there. Now, here's what Hugh Kitchen has to offer. For Valentine's Day, Hugh Kitchen has these awesome gift boxes and baking packs that they're offering. And in addition, for a limited time only, every single order will include four unique Valentine's Day note cards. And since you're a loyal podcast listener, you can get 10% off site-wide using code Jorge, J-O-R-G-E. The link is in the description. Now, back to the show. Yeah, and it's funny because I, I used to always hear about that until I was diagnosed with, uh, I have autoimmune neutropenias and it's, Basically, I've got really, really healthy bone marrow and mm. bone marrow, you know, is largely responsible with our immunity in our bodies and, and especially how uh, our blood cells are, are produced and, and uh, specifically white blood cells, in my case, neutrophils, uh, get cranked out plenty of them, lots and lots of them, but my body has a tendency to kill them off faster than I can produce them, which puts me in a, a very, very low uh, level of, of amount of neutrophil so which you know if you are fighting a virus <laughs> or staving off virus you need neutrophils you know you get a cut or a scrape it's neutrophils that come to the rescue to neutralize a lot of the bacteria and virals uh, types of infections that come on so you can imagine my hematologist is like that you should probably just live in a bubble during this pandemic and uh <laughs> not go out I'm like forget that you know and and yet uh, a lot of the people with my condition uh, autoimmune neutropenia. Uh, like I am in an extreme situation, just, just to put this in the context, like I, I have almost zero neutrophils. Like when, when I go in for my weekly blood test, just to sort of see where my levels are at, I often will get calls from new people that don't know my file, be like, my goodness, are you okay? Do you have a fever? We need to get you to the emerge. Like that's like instant, you know, they've got this textbook response when they see someone with my kind of numbers, you know, right. yet they don't know my case. And, and, why I'm bringing this up is uh, I've been in groups on Facebook and you know how you end up meeting communities of people with similar conditions. And uh, there's a lot of complaining, a lot of people bagging on their condition. And listen, I'm not here to put them down. I'm not judging, but I do recognize that me being in an extreme case and yet I'm able to stave off majority of the symptoms based on the lifestyle choices that I'm making every day. And, and I see this, this is not just unique to me. I'm looking at other people that have autoimmune challenges and I call them more of a challenges because I, I hate referring to it as a disease, you know, like it's, even though it follows that in a textbook, but they're, they're, they're just simply a challenge and, and, and there's ways to overcome it. And, and we know through food and daily movement and certain other lifestyle factors can be influenced based on what we do every day, you know, and and, and so it, I love this and I like talking about it because I'm like, you know, it's what's possible if we just start looking at our little small minor changes that we make and just what we do every day, you know, and eating is one of the most fundamental things that we all do. 
Like it's just, we don't even think about it. So you're right. The convenience piece is crazy, right? It's just like now, 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 now. Like, uh, hey man, I, I love Prime, okay? <laughs> I like the convenience. I order that, I get it today. Awesome. Unfortunately, when it comes to nutrition, I, I like that kind of convenience, but the options available just aren't necessarily the healthiest for us. Right, and what you touched on, you know, with the, the fact that all these habits that we do, um, and like a blood test may not, is not the be all end all, like you said, like they can't know what you look like. They can't know that you're physically active and fit and that you're mentally healthy by just looking at that. And um, that's something that I wrote about in my book, Return to Human. I really focused on um, an immune centric approach really to, to life. And the fact is from the moment that we wake up to the moment we go to bed, we have all of these habits that are compounding and really destroying our immune system's ability to work as it should. Spot on, spot on. And, and uh, look at inflammation, right? Yeah. I get, that's one thing I, I, a number of years ago, I was fortunate enough that I was approached by a couple of functional medicine practitioners and they, they have a, a summit called the superhuman summit. You would totally dig this, Ore. Like you, oh, you're I, I know, at that, I think. Yeah. It would. Yeah, I, I ended up. Uh, I was their MC uh, the first year, and then I did the opening uh, talk the following year, and uh, and so I felt very honored. And then the third year, unfortunately, I wasn't around. I was I was traveling, but uh, I just a great event, the TED format. But mm -hmm. it has a lot of people there that are. I say fringe, but they're they're not really fringe. Like they're they're accepted. They're seen as experts, and but the kind of research they're doing and the kind of things they're speaking to are, are, are rather cutting edge, you know, mm -hmm. like, especially when it, you start going into like the biohack space, right? Mm, like yes. there's a lot of fringe stuff out there. Yes. <laughs> some of it's cool. Some of it's like, well, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know if I see that being readily adopted by everybody, you know? Right. Um, that being said, it, it, I was fortunate enough to meet them. And, and one of the biggest things that they really turned me on to was even just a, a basic test, which everyone has to pay for. It's not one that's covered by any medical plans, but even just looking at your omega profiles, right? Like looking at your, your inflammation markers in your body, like you can go and actually get tested on this. And what I found was, and this is a big eye opener. I want to bring this up because here I was before this, you know, I, I was only a couple of years into this, having this diagnosis. I thought I was managing it quite well with lifestyle choices, doing the testing. And, and there was a biologic, I have to take an injection as needed. Um, something that they typically give to like leukemia patients. So it's a very aggressive biologic. I, I don't, again, I'm the kind of guy, if I don't need to take a medication, I won't, but based on my situation and where I'm at, I recognize this is my best option to, to try to help me create a little bit of a, a, a a lift in my neutrophils, right? right. But uh, it, it's not going to fix any issues. It's just kind of masking some of them. Uh, but here I'm working with these guys and, and, and they just decided that I was like, well, let's take a look at everything. Let's do a full scan. Let's look at your DNA. We'll get that done. We'll, we'll, we'll do your full blood workup. Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll look at uh, all your inflammation markers. We'll look at your vitamin D3. Like just, it was awesome. And almost so full hormone profile. Like this is the first time I'd ever done like one of these full on in-depth you know, uh, series of tests and what came back. And this, this is, okay, sorry. Where I was going with this is, uh, all right. Like I was eating paleo mm -hmm. and more zone paleo. Like that was what I found was best for me. And it worked really, really well. And for those that aren't familiar with paleo and the paleo diet, it's basically no dairy. Um, it's all 
no processed foods either. It's, it's typically all just vegetables, lean proteins, nuts, uh, maybe some healthy fats in there as well. Uh, that's predominantly it, you know, like you're, you're cutting out all, all the breads and the, the grains, a lot of the legumes and, uh, and dairy. And, and it worked really well for me. Mm. However, my primary source of lean protein was chicken. And when I say primary, it, it was like easily four or five times a week, I was eating chicken thinking, well, this is healthy. This is good. This is what everybody talks about, you know, and here's me with a good nutrition understanding, you know, awareness. I'm, I'm not a dietitian and nutrition or anything along those lines, but I know enough over the years of what's worked, what hasn't. And, and I'd always had, you know, when I eat chicken, I, I always thought, oh, I was making a good choice. You mm -hmm. know, when they tested my omegas, dude, my omega sixes were through the roof. And for those that aren't aware, omega-6 is like all your omegas are important, but it's all about the ratio. And ideally, you want lots of omega-3s, less on the omega-6s. But because I was eating so much chicken, mm -hmm. which that protein, a lot of its calories and, and sources, it's from grains, right? It's just right. the way it's are birds, man. They eat like birds. Like, what do you expect? You know? And uh, so here, my omega-6s are through the roof. And, and, and I wasn't aware of that. And, and so when I looked at my inflammation systemically, like through my whole body, I was in a really heightened state of inflammation. And here, I thought everything was right. So we went on this really strict protocol where I was taking a ton of omega-3s every day, started eating a lot more fish and red meats, mm -hmm. way less. And in fact, for three months, I cut out all poultry, all of it, just got rid of it. And uh, after three months, we retested, poof, Everything was in the go zone. So it only took three months to correct it. Mm -hmm. But I have no idea how long that habit had stayed where I was in the heightened state. I was actually doing myself a lot more harm, but thinking I was doing everything right. And that was the thing that really opened my eyes. Like, this whole nutrition thing is so damn confusing. No wonder the rest of the world's so freaking confused, you know? Like, yeah. it, it, there's so much contradictory information. Like, you look at back in Time Magazine back in the 80s, they had a cover that said, well, basically it vilified butter, yes. you know, and eggs. It talked about fats are bad, right? right. Like, and it vilified it. Right. And this is the mainstream. You come up into the early, you know, 2010, 2011, Time does another cover, talks of, and, and butter's on the cover, sorry. And they talk about the health benefits of eating right. lots of butter. And it was yes. like, <laughs> dude, within 30 years, one lifetime, you've got two contradictory covers on a very well-respected media outlet. Yes. Yeah. Who are we supposed to believe, you know? Right. Like, and, and so it, it just, it baffles me, right? It does baffle me, but I, I feel so empathetic to, to just the world and our confusion around how to eat. <laughs> like it's so damn confusing. And, uh, and I think it's because, as you said earlier, we're all looking for the magic bullet or the pill. We are used to the pharmaceutical approach, right? It's like, oh, it's okay. There's a pill for that. Like if people are given the option, hey, there's a pill that will get you to your ideal body weight you know, and here's a pill that's a placebo. Like, which one would you rather have? Like if people are given the choice, of course, they're always going to take the one that's going to help them be healthy and fit instantly. Right, right. It just doesn't exist, guys. <laughs> right. So, there's, this, there's this quote by uh, someone I follow, Joel Green, also in the nutrition and fitness space. And um, he said, science is in the business of being wrong when they think they're right. <laughs> oh, I the earth that. was flat. 
hundreds of years to dispel that and we still got a few flat earthers oh dude. Um, more butter <laughs> saturated fat uh where now we're seeing it's not really the saturated fat or cholesterol it's the inflammation that goes along with something like omega-6s or highly refined yeah. foods um so it, it's you have to take people think that science is immaculate it's 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 not flawed at all there's not there's it's science yeah. right you must yeah. trust the science and that's that's a narrative that i've been seeing a lot Mm-hmm. over this pandemic and it's really sad to see that because science is not a dogma science isn't shouldn't be ideology science should be observations about something and it shouldn't ever be like a religion and i don't mean to offend people who are religious but it shouldn't be like something that is oh that's settled science we can't talk about it anymore it's like no science is always changing this saturated fat thing proves that yes yes and yeah. and we are quick to vilify certain food groups or ways of eating so quickly and and it can be in favor one day and then out of favor the next i often equate it to sort of the medieval approach to royalty right like if the queen was out of favor forget about it you're in trouble mm. you're losing your head you know <laughs> like it's not so drastic now but but opinions and attitudes change so quickly but because of social media there's a lot of this vilification like this mm-hmm. labeling of good versus bad and i think the problem is and you know i i don't like morality to come into nutrition conversations because i i feel that that's where we can go down the dogmatic path and, mm-hmm. and it's really one opinion over another and mm-hmm. at the end of the day you, you know as I, I i even wrote in my book you know a long time ago like listen when i want a piece of cheesecake i know dairy's not good for me right i could go with a vegan alternative sure um it's not always accessible but if i want a piece of cheesecake because i'm having a special meal with a friend or my family I'm going to have the damn cheesecake. All right. I'm having it. I'm not going to be feeling any guilt over it. I'm actively and aware of my choice and I'm choosing to have this right now and I'm going to enjoy it. You know, but if I listen to some people out there and if I was going to let that opinion impact me and influence mm-hmm. me, you know, there, there's people out there. This is good. This is bad. You know, this cheesecake, this is bad for you. And Baby it's like, talk. Oh my gosh, yeah. man. It is right. And yeah. and as soon as we do that, now I eat it. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking subconsciously, I've just done something bad. Mm-hmm. I've got guilt, shame, blame. Because this is how I felt back in my early teens, you know, when I was gaining all this weight and just didn't know. I didn't understand that all these choices I was making or lack thereof <laughs> was having such a stark impact, you know? And, yeah. and so I really feel for people. And I think there's a, we're seeing a tipping point right now. You know, just, I, I look at just the quality of the documentaries and access to information today versus any other time. And it's, it's amazing. You know, you got podcasts like your own that are really speaking into this right now. And, and so it's just a matter of hitting that critical mass. And then I think we'll see a big, big shift, but it's got to happen in the developing countries first. You know, yes. like I find that most of the, the, the countries or sorry, the, the developed countries, you know, versus the ones that are still developing, like I lived in Bali for two and a half years and I'll tell you they're healthy, but where they're not healthy is because of the influence of AKA first world countries influence uh, with just junk, <laughs> like the amount of junk in Bali. Like if you go to some of the restaurants, it's all fresh made, fresh grown, like awesome. Like yeah. you have some fish they, like literally the dudes there cooking it on the grill and he caught it this morning and it's like sweet <laughs> this is good i like this but then you see all the convenience that's now started to influence it all the fast food chains and their influence and uh, you know everyone's so enamored with 
this North American culture, you know, and the way we eat and they want that. And it's like, but you see it, like, it's amazing. Traditionally, fairly slender people, right? Right. The amount of obesity now in their population and type two diabetes, it's like through the roof, like pandemic proportions. Yet we don't hear about that in the media. You know, not really. It'll be a story that will make the front page for a day and then by tomorrow it's gone, you know? And, uh, and it's really unfortunate. You know, it it's, really is unfortunate. Yeah, it is. It is. It's, it's painfully funny that these developed nations, like you said, and even there are some modern hunter-gatherer populations like the Hadza mm-hmm. in Northern Tanzania, for example, yeah. are super well studied and they're rivaling industrialized nation in infectious diseases, which is something that we think we're above you know, we think, oh, we've got that covered. It's like, no, these people are so healthy, much healthier than we are. Like, how is that possible? Yeah, crazy. Yeah. It's wild, man. It's wild. And uh, something that I like to remind myself, uh, and I don't know, people can take what they want of this, but I'll often say to people, it's like, it's a matter of leaning into the space of like, what am I not going to regret doing? Mm-hmm. What am I not going to regret? Like, I never have a client and I usually challenge my clients. I want you to have one big healthy salad a day, like just, just one. And for most people that's adding in a lot of veggies, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of fresh foods. Like to them, that's, that's one big change that they can commit to. Okay. I'm going to have one good, healthy salad every day. Great. Mm-hmm. It's a good starting point. And I'm like, yeah, I'm put maybe some cedar plank salmon on there, some lean protein. I mean, whatever, some tofu, like whatever, just, just make it a beautiful meal that you're proud of. I've never had someone text me later on that day and say, you know, I really regret having that salad for lunch. Like, I don't ever get those messages. You know, mm-hmm. I never get a message from, from a client or a friend that just had a workout saying, you know, I really regret doing that workout. You know, I regret working out today. Like, I, I don't ever hear that. They might right. regret doing burpees or something like that, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but I don't hear any, like, there's no regret around the actual act of self-care about that idea of showing ourselves a little bit of love and doing something that's good for us. We don't regret that. That's time well spent. And we know it instinctively, consciously and subconsciously. The body loves it. And so come from that space, you know, like what am I going to not regret doing? Mm-hmm. And maybe do a little bit more of that. Oh, you know, yeah. Just, Negative you know? motivation is almost yeah. like just as powerful as positive motivation. Yeah. But like, it's, it's more than that. It's from? actually being fully aware that I know if I do these things, I'm never going to regret it. I'm right. actually going to feel the opposite. I'm going to feel proud of myself for accomplishing something that's good for me. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not this fear-based aspect of like, uh, yeah, the, the negative reinforcement or negative motivation. I'm not, not a big proponent for that. Cause uh, I mean, I came from that, my old school personal training days in my twenties, I didn't know any better, no pain, right. no gain, right. you know, like, right. <laughs> I, that was just the way I did it. And then as I approached nearer and nearer my forties, especially, I started to realize, man, things change, mm-hmm. change a lot. And the way I train changes, the way I think, the way I observe the world, the way I interact with people. I mean, I had changed. I'm a different person now than I was 20 years ago. And I've learned a lot more along the way, you know? And uh, so I think it's all of us trying to embrace that idea that we're always going to be changing. That's okay. Not so bad. But am I at least achieving some of the results that I want to achieve? You know, like, is my health going to support me and going after the things I want in my life? Mm-hmm. Or is it going to detract me? Is it going to hold me back? If it's holding you back, that's a really hard place to be. Believe me, as someone that's been there a few times, I, I, I get it. Totally understand. And it's hard. But the neat thing is we don't have to do it on our own. We don't have to be alone in this process. There's lots of cool support groups out there, networks, communities. And, and that is one of the benefits of, of 
the online space today, there's lots of places you can plug into to get the information, to get the support, to create the relationships with like-minded individuals that are just as motivated and inspired to make those lifestyle changes as well. And, mm-hmm. and I don't know about you, but I, I sure enjoy going with others, you know, as the African proverb says, you know, you want to go fast, go alone. You want to go far, go together, right? Mm-hmm. I'm all about, let's just go together. Let's have, yeah. a, have a party there on the beach when we make it. <laughs> and, I love that, man. And I want to touch on something that you said earlier when you were feeling a little bit of that depression and you said something which really resonated with me, which is you retract from other people. You start to put yourself in an isolated space. And oh man, that like that says a lot because uh, when I was going through the same thing a few years ago, I felt the same thing. I didn't want to talk to people. And I, I started to ask myself why. And one of the reasons is people lift you up. And when you're in that state, you, it's kind of a cycle where you want to keep on being in that state and being with other people doesn't allow for that as much. Mm. And those are the people that lift you up when you're feeling at your worst. So I, I really do think, like you said, it's, it's being, being with people and um, not being that lone wolf, which is so, um, <laughs> I think, idolized, I think is, is so important. Yeah, it's interesting that 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 term. I love that you see that right there. That 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 lone wolf, you know, sort of metaphor analogy. It's uh, yeah, it, it's. I remember at periods of my life, I often say, "Yeah, I'm an army of one," you know, and I would mm. almost be proud about it. And uh, not anymore. Like I realized that that was all false pride, right? Like just ego-driven pride. Yes. Like I don't need anybody. I can do this on my own. You know, like yes. just that bit of bravado, you know, like that sort of, yeah, it just, it's amazing. Just amazing. But as soon as I got into my own head, you know, and realized that, Hey, not only am I fallible, but I need help. I need Mm -hmm. support. Like I need it, but more than just need, I want it. I really want it. And uh, as soon as I found those communities and it takes a little while to find it, but once you find it, you know, Mm -hmm. because you feel like you belong. Right. It's not just a matter of being a member of something. It's like you actually feel like you belong there, you know, and, and that sense of belonging, that sense of community we feel through that, that shared belonging. I think it's really powerful, and motivating as well as inspiring, you know, and, and I think we can all cultivate a little bit more of that because yes. we know when we're in that space or that, that, that feeling, that connectivity it sure is a lot easier to go and get certain things done. At least, that, at least in my experience, I found that, like I yes. said, like, geez, I could just, uh, I, I sort of alluded to you before we started talking today, you know, I've got a, a weekly men's meetup, you know, mentorship Mondays, and we meet every Monday, we've met every Monday for over two and a half years, every Monday. And it's this weekly touch in the touch point, right, where we get together, no judgment, no coaching, like, literally, we're just coming to share what's real for us and, and uh, touch base on how the last week went and hopefully send some intentions or some energy you know, some focus, realizing that, yeah, we may be on our own, but we're not alone. And that in itself is just like, wow, well, such a, the best way to describe it is like, I leave that call and I feel better than I was when I first started the call. And that's the experience I want. So when you're part of a community, I, I find that every interaction, you end up leaving the interaction feeling better than you were when you first started. And that's when you really know you're in a great space. It's cultivating that positive sort of flow, you know? And Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Like when I, when I was in that state where I, I wasn't sure I wanted to keep being here and I kept on uh, that, those ideas kept on flowing. 
I, the one thing, the only thing that pulled me out of that was if I'm not going to do it for myself, I'm going to do it for the people around me. And that is, is, is cliche. I understand, but it's like, really, I, I didn't want to do it for myself at that moment. I was like, yeah. I could not be here if it was just because of me, but I have my parents, I would leave a hole in their lives. I have my friends and my girlfriend. I can't do that. So I'm going to go and, and do this thing 100%, go the full nine yards and live life as well as I possibly can. And that's really the biggest motivation that I found for this. I love that. That's so good. You know, and it, it's, I, I think it's good, man, to have that motivation for wanting to, I, I don't know. I, it, I think it's part of the accountability too. Like I, I think at times I found it accountable, like being accountable to others was much more motivating than trying to be accountable to myself. Yes. Just because I know I, I, I am, I recognize my faults. You know, I recognize when my energy is not in a good space, I'm not holding myself accountable. I just, I'm not, you know, I'm avoiding the act of being accountable, <laughs> to right. be honest, you know, and that's where procrastination creeps in. Mm -hmm. I put things off that I said were important for me and I put it off, which then in turn makes me even feel well, a little bit worse. You know, right. that little voice starts criticizing and making a lot of noise in my mind. And it's like, oh man, what am I doing? You know, and, but when you're around that community, you, you, you show up, right? You plug in. Yes just the act of plugging in and showing up is enough at times for myself and what I've noticed with others that I've observed this with just enough for, to, to have that hard reset, mm -hmm. you know? And I think everyone's all we need that reset. Just it's like, ah, okay. Boom, reset. Let's try again, you know, and just start with the basics. And, uh, I, I find that every once in a while I, that, that hard reset, I, I always equate it to the sort of the old PC days, you know, control, alt, delete, you know, like how do you control, alt, delete your life? <laughs> control, <laughs> alt, delete, you know, that hard reset where, where, where you just get that opportunity to create a little bit of space to <sighs> slow down and breathe, mm -hmm. take a pause, figure out what's really important. And then just do one little thing, one little thing, and then add on. And, and I think that is, uh, especially this time of year, you know, every time around the, the start of a new year, I, I think we all feel a bit of pressure that, oh, we got to set ourselves up for a big year. You know, this is a new year. We got to do this, got to do it all. You know, I'm make all these changes and holy smokes. I don't know about you, but that, that, that just feels like a heavy load to carry. Definitely. Yeah. And that's why you can't carry it for too long. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. stats will prove it. You know, I don't need to get into the math of it all, but uh, it's very discouraging when you start looking into how many people set New Year's resolutions yeah, and how many are actually still active. Even today, as we speak, as we're nearing the end of the first month of the new year, statistically, you know, over half of people that started the year with a resolution, especially one that was health or fitness based, probably aren't doing it anymore. You know, oh, they've yeah. probably already given up and it's, yeah. that's awful. I mean, awful way to start the year. I start the year feeling like I'm a failure. That sucks. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So that's why I always joke. I'm like, hey, New Year's solutions, not resolutions. You know, let's yeah. stick with that. And uh, um, yeah, I know we're talking about a lot of sort of bigger concepts, but I think they're all connected, you know, and the unifying connection is just ourselves, right? Like our own role in what we're talking about here. And uh, I think sometimes it's easier to boil it down to the micro. You know, like, just look, what am I doing? It's sort of that idea, right? Like be the, the change you want to see in the world. I mean, that made a lot of sense when that quote was shared, right? Like mm -hmm. it was Gandhi, right? That when he mentioned yeah, that, it was right. like, well, he's talking about the individual, 
you know, yes. like you be that change. Because if everybody is the change, we're all going to achieve the change, you know. And, and that's why I always say, like, like, my wife has an ongoing thing where she'll ask our families, like, okay, if we had 24-7 camera crew around us all the time, you know, monitoring all the things that we do for the world to see, would we like who we're showing up as right now? Would we like the choices that we're portraying right now and role modeling right now, you know? And it just, it's just enough to like shift things, be like, uh, no, <laughs> no, I wouldn't like that to be the way I just, you know, spoke to you. Definitely not. I, that's not making the highlight real, <laughs> or if it is, it's making it a very negative highlight real. Right. Like, right. And, and so there's other ways I think of sort of introducing that idea of self-accountability, but maybe uh, really down to our own individual perspective. Right. Like just how do we see ourselves? And, uh, Anyways, I, I know we're, we're getting off tangent here, but um, man, this, this is great. I love this kind of conversation. Yeah, man. I, I love that you brought up the fact this, this connectedness piece, because that's something that I strive to talk about in all of my podcasts and in my book, it's a big piece of that. I mean, environmental health is human health. Mm. Uh, metabolic health is brain health. Like all of these things that, that uh, are so reductionistic and we just look at this one thing no, like relationships are also physical health. If yeah. they're a poor relationship, that's going to be, you're going to have a hell of a time trying to have a good physical health. And that's exactly what I wanted to ask you about next uh, relationships. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the, the, the biggest regrets that people have when they're on their deathbeds is really not staying in touch with friends, not having those good relationships. And um, like you said, at the beginning, 50% of marriages end in divorce. So what have you personally found to be essential in maintaining or creating relationships? Well, first and foremost, I'm not in the business of collecting friends. And what I mean by that, and I think a lot of people get it, <laughs> I see you nodding. So I know you know what I mean here. It's like, I, I'm not, there was a period in my life where I thought networking, I, I believe the idea that uh, your net worth is in your network. I heard that quote, I believed it. And I still think there's, there's, it rings true depending on how you're looking at it, you know, mm -hmm. what state you're coming from. But I realized I was more interested in just amassing a large network than I was looking at creating quality connections. Mm -hmm. And I think bringing it back to that is it, it is the connection. I, I, I was craving deeper connection with, with people just people in general, especially other men, because I'd always looked at men as competition. <laughs> you know, I did. I'd size guys up. I'd go to a networking event. I'd go to a, a meetup and, and right away, you know, judgment, sizing people up. Already thinking to myself, Ooh, who do I have to be to impress the people in this mm -hmm. room? Right? Like rather than yeah. just showing up and being who I am. And it was exhausting, <laughs> you know, just exhausting to work from that space. And uh, so as far as relationships, you know, especially the relationship with self was the first and foremost uh, priority for me uh, about 11 years ago, I'm going through a lot of big lifestyle changes. And uh, it felt like it was out of necessity, but it ultimately was because I wanted it. I, I wanted change again, like I experienced as a morbidly obese teen, wanting that mm -hmm. change for myself to be happier, to be healthier, realizing there's got to be a better way. The same applied with just me as, as a human being evolving into whatever that next version of me was going to be. But I wanted to, to have some influence on that, you know? And so that was being very selective on the types of people I wanted to associate with. 
also looking at where was I spending a lot of my time and energy and what was I getting in return? You know, cause it is, it, it, you know, when you're in a great relationship with somebody, um, whether it be a romantic one or it be a professional one or just a really good friend, personal relationship, that idea of give and take, it's not really give and take. It's just, it's an ebb and flow of energy, right? We're, we're, we're rarely all always on the same level. So there's always going to be someone that's got a little bit higher energy. One's going to be a bit lower. And we're just trying to regulate, right? And, and, and support each other in, in whatever endeavors that we're, we're focused on working on. And I started looking at some of my relationships and some of the choices that I would make and how I would show up based on beliefs attached to those relationships. Who did I believe that they expected me to be, mm-hmm. right? Versus ask myself, who do I want to be? What do I want? What makes me happy? You know, is this actually a relationship I want to foster? Continue to invest in, mm-hmm. place those deposits of myself into, you know, with the expectation at some certain times that this is a relationship. It goes both ways where I, in certain relations, I felt it was just going one direction, which creates an imbalance. And it's starting to make me feel really disconnected, you know, and, and dissatisfied. And which would also lead to sometimes some other types of behaviors that weren't healthy for me. Like I used to abuse alcohol, sometimes drug use. Like mm-hmm. it was just based on where I was emotionally and psychologically. And, and just that feeling again, like I had when I was a morbidly obese teen, right? Like I, I figured out other ways to numb myself in the moment. And just, it shifted from food to, to booze, <laughs> you know? And uh, so going through those changes, I started to ask myself like, Association, power of association is so critical. Mm-hmm. And also when you're starting looking at relationships, like my wife and I, we've always had a good relationship, but I can't always say it was great based on certain things and, and lack of awareness for both of us and lack of willingness on my part to adapt and evolve and, and change some of my belief systems. And it's not even so much change. It's just, I didn't even challenge some of my beliefs to question where did that belief come from? Like, I'm a guy, I shouldn't cry. That was a, one that was ingrained in me from a little kid, you know? And, and also, if I remember seeing my mom and dad, they get into a heated argument. I remember this as a kid, you know, seven, eight years old, you know, before they eventually separated. And I remember seeing my dad, like, he'd ghost. Like, he'd take off in his car and go for a long drive to cool off. But, you know, he would exit the confrontation mm-hmm. before, rather than resolve the confrontation. And that was modeled to me. So again, just a habit that later on in life, I just did it, even with my wife. You know, we get into a heated arm. I, I still catch myself every once in a while. I get heated, my emotions rise, and I just want to run. Mm. I don't want to stay and face it. So it's recognizing a few of our current habits around relationships and tough conversations, vulnerability, right? Like these are the pieces that it's just taking that self-assessment. And it's okay. I'm not saying you have to be great in all these areas. No, but being aware of how these areas all connect and maybe influence or impact some of our current relationships. And so taking that kind of an inventory, I think is a great place to begin for people. You know, just getting clear, like what are some of my non-negotiables when it comes to relationships? Trust, integrity, kindness. These are like non-negotiable values that my wife and I share. And when we meet new people, we're like, hey, do they align with us? 
you know, and we have a, a basic question to sort of answer this. It's like, hey, can we envision ourselves hanging around on a beach with them, sharing a coconut? <laughs> you know, like, can we see ourselves hanging around the beaches of the world with these people? Like these individual I just met? And if we're like a hell yeah, it's like, we know that we're aligned, mm-hmm. you know? And, and if not, it's okay. It's like, no, but this will be a, a nice connection. This is great. Like, we can be friends, but it, it's a different level, right? Right. which also dictates how much energy we invest and put into it. Cause again, before I went really wide, I didn't go deep. Mm-hmm. Right. I went wide collecting friends, <laughs> collecting connections, but really just having a very surface level uh, awareness of one another based on a lot of what I was doing, you know, my inability to connect, go deep and really have the conversation to discover about one another. And, and, and so those are a couple pieces, um, but First and foremost, I think we've already talked about it, Jorge, was that this idea of community, connection, and, and seeking a, a community that we can really plug into mm-hmm. uh, to add value, but also receive value. And uh, for myself, Toastmasters was one of those first organizations that I joined, which was amazing. Uh, you're not aware, Toastmasters, global organization. It's a nonprofit. It's all volunteer driven, but it's people that come together to support each other to be more effective communicators and better leaders. I was like, wow, what a crazy, cool community. Because mm-hmm. you go to these places where like now they meet on Zoom based on the, the world and it's just such a positive environment. I remember going to my very first meeting of this club that was local to me and uh, I was just like, wow, these people are all geared to personal and professional development, but supporting each other on their journeys for that. Mm-hmm. And, and no judgment. It's all uh, very positive, but also even the feedback you receive to improve is coming from a place of love not a place of criticism. And uh, it was awesome. It was my first time really being in, in an environment like that, which opened my eyes to like, wow, if there's one group like this, there's got to be more groups like this out there. What else have I been sheltering myself from? It's so baby steps, right? We just start exploring. And, and, uh, and I think that is some of the basic tips that I can offer. That's, and when I say tips, like... <laughs> I think we're all used to getting lots of tips. I mean, we read the top 10 blog posts here and top mm-hmm. 10 episodes there. Great. You got to filter what's important to you and based on what you want. And if you're aware of that, if you want deeper connection, greater quality relationships, some of the things I just shared with you today have worked really well for myself and some of the people that I've worked with. So take what you want of it. <laughs> try one thing, try them all, whatever. It, but just start, right? Just start. Don't, don't, don't wait, you know, and cause I used to wait. I'm like, oh, someone will just reach out to me and maybe the opportunity will, will just happen where I'll have a steep connection with somebody. But until I proactively said, I want that. And I started to act accordingly and do things to put me in a, a place where I could have that experience. It wasn't going to happen. It just wasn't. Right. Uh, so that practical approach. So anyways, I, I, I go on and on, but uh, I take of that what you want. <laughs> no, I, I love that. Those are great reminders for people. Um, you know, one quote that stood out to me when you were talking about relationships is um, we take on the unfinished business of our parents. And that was super, that's become super clear to me because like you said, what you watched when you were a kid no matter what your parents said, your parents could have lectured you a thousand times on how to be a good person, how to have good relationships. But if they weren't modeling that, man, the modeling piece, the subconscious piece is by far the most important thing. And that's something that unless you want to keep that negative relationship going in, you know, transgenerationally, because you're going to pass that behavior on to your kids, you got to break it. 
and you got to be the one to break it. And but first you have to recognize it. Absolutely. Well said. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. All right, man. Uh, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I, I, we've already <laughs> gone an hour. I don't know how fast that's crazy. By. Right? I um, know. Wild, wild. So, um, yeah, I'd like to finish it off with uh, some quick questions at the end, some rapid fire rounds. So, yeah. So number one, what is the most important habit you personally do every single day to support your mental or physical health? Uh, move my body with purpose. Uh, so that what I qualify that is, you know, I'm, I'm moving my body with the intention of elevating my heart rate for a positive adaptation. And what I mean by that is like, you know, you have to put your body under a little bit of stress. Stress is actually a good thing. You know, if you had zero stress in your life, <laughs> I don't know if you'd ever get out of bed. Like, <laughs> it's just what, what's the motivation, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so that's one habit that, that I've been consistent with. Uh, and even like I just had uh, epigastric surgery. Uh, uh, so it's basically, you know, between your sternum and your belly button, the abdominal region there I had a little tear, a little hernia, uh, which I retore actually, because I didn't recover fully last time. I got so impatient. I just went back to training. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> so I just had the surgery again. So I've been respecting no training based on the stress mm -hmm. of my doctor. And uh, I'm coming on six and a half weeks now of not training, but I had to just pivot. So long walks every day. That's what I did. Mm -hmm. and, and I only bring that up as an example, because when I say move your body with purpose, get a sweat on, a lot of people instinctively think I got to go to a gym. I got to go do a class. I, you know, like there's I got, the, the way we qualify and quantify what that is. Yeah. It's very limited. And I, I really want to broaden that up. So just move the body, you know? So for me, like getting out for a long walk for an hour in the park, whoo, huge, you know, because it helps mental health, but it also helps with my physical health and, and spiritual health to, to be honest. So yes, a uh, long answer to a short question. My apologies. Awesome. No, no, I love that. That's, uh, that's something that is walking is so underrated as part of yeah. movement. Uh, especially after meals and just keeping insulin yes. blood sugar stable oh man like it's more powerful than some of the blood sugar medications out there so that's, that's awesome um all right number two what is the most important lesson you've learned recently well it's kind of a a relearning of the lesson um but a year and a half ago i did have a passion a 10-day silent retreat and it's non-secular uh, even though Vipassana is the style of meditation that was associated to Siddhartha's enlightening to become the Buddha. <laughs> okay. And it was believed that this is the meditation. So I went and did this 10 day silent retreat. During that, I was reminded sort of by uh, my interest in Buddhism. And I, I'm not here to say be a Buddhist or not, you know, like that's, that's not, I'm not a Buddhist, um, but I do admire a lot of what Buddha had to say. And uh, I always was very fond of that idea of this too shall pass. This too shall pass. Because I always associate it to, yeah, when I'm dealing with some struggles or something challenging, don't worry, die. You'll get through this. You know, and there was something about that. You know, we, we hear all the cliches, right? Like the, mm -hmm. the, the metaphor is like, oh, don't worry. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> you know, we're going to get there and uh, it will all be good. But when we really think about that quote, this too shall pass, you know, it, he was talking about all the great things in our lives as well. You know, like, when my children were born, when I met my wife, the day we got married, you know, the day I had a great conversation with an old friend, like all these moments right now that we experience, they too will pass mm -hmm. the good things and the bad things. Either way, it becomes something that already happened. And, and so it's that awareness of what's happening when it's happening. And, and that's all I'm looking for more in my life is more awareness 
and, and appreciation and gratitude towards the experiences when they're happening. And, and so that's something that's really real for me right now that I'm actively trying to, to become much more in alignment with is this idea of just like, yeah, this too will pass, but these great things, man, they were great and appreciating it while it's happening. You know? So it's not just about the bad things, it's about the great things too. Nice. Now, how can we, um, oh, actually, no, that's not it. Uh, what drives you to get up in the mornings on the days that you least want to? I always pretend that getting out of bed in the mornings, an Olympic event. <laughs> so I pretend that I've got the IOC in my bedroom and the judges are there and they're going to grade me on how I get out of bed. My dismount's got to be golden, you know, like literally gold performance. Cause I realize it's the first action I'm going to take in the day. So I go for gold every morning, even if I'm feeling it or I'm not feeling it, you know, it's like, I'm just getting out of bed with a purpose and the purpose is to get up and get my day started and just start living, mm -hmm. you know, uh, cause you just don't know. I may not be able to have a, a second performance tomorrow. You just don't know. And I'm not saying that won't, I like to expect that I will, but we don't know. Yeah. So every morning it's just a gold performance. Am I going for gold or not? You know, and, and it's setting the intention and then following it up with an immediate action. And I find by doing that as silly as it sounds, it's sometimes those hyperbolized actions that we do that can make an instant shift to our biology, like instant, you know, it's like if I ask you to close your eyes and imagine biting into a big, solid, sweet, juicy lemon, a lot of people, if they really imagine that, their lips start to pucker up, saliva starts to flow. Like we have this biological response. And I'm like, that's your mind influencing your body to have mm -hmm. a response and to have an adaptation. Like it's all connected. So the way you do anything is the way you do everything as the quote goes. <laughs> and so that's sort of my intentionality around uh, waking up in the morning, you know, going for the gold. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm going to definitely be including that in my morning. Yeah. That's awesome. a good perspective. Man. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Uh, so last question, what advice would you give your 20 year old self? <laughs> you cocky little bastard. No, <laughs> but that, seriously, I mean, from a place of love, but I think about who I was when I was 20 and I thought I knew it all. Like I thought I knew it all, you know, and uh, wasn't so willing to have, people help because I wasn't willing to ask for help. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I think if I could go back and tell my talk to myself, say like, listen, this, this shield of awareness or your drop, drop the mask is what I would like to say, you mm -hmm. know, don't pretend to be something that you're not just be you and stop believing your own garbage. You know, cause a lot of what I believed about myself wasn't founded in anything. You know, it just wasn't, it, it was just a lot of make-believe, uh, especially as I start thinking about my psychology at the time and, and my belief on others. And uh, like even just, God, I, I won't go into deals. We could have a whole conversation, but that, that would be the, the bottom line. It would be just like, listen, get over yourself. You can have a lot more fun and have a lot more happiness in your life if you just stop pretending. You know, that's what I would love to say, really. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, where can people find out more about you, your books, social media, et cetera? 
Oh, well, thank you. Uh, easiest is probably my website, which is just my name.com. So diemanuel.com, D-A-I-M-A-N-U-E-L.com. And the cool thing is Manuel. Yeah, it's a Welsh first name, means David. Last name's Portuguese. And as I say to everybody, Jorge, uh, I'm Canadian. So mm. there you go. <laughs> Hence the mix. We're all mixes up here. And uh, it, what I would love to say is just, if you use my name on any social platform, especially Facebook or Instagram, that's where I'm most active. Uh, just send me a message. Say, I heard you on Jorge's podcast. Oh, I loved what you guys were talking about. Here's what my favorite daily habit is that relates to my nutrition. I mean, just give you an example, but just reach out. That's how conversations start, you know? And uh, uh, I'm, I'm always ge- keen to have the conversation. And, and I do always let people know that if you reach out to me, if I don't get back to you right away, don't worry, I will get back to you. That's my, my, my solemn swear. Uh, it's just that uh, I do have Hey, like everybody else, I got a life, man. <laughs> I, I limit my time on my phone and on my devices. So uh, I, I will get back to you. It just may not be within 24, 48 hours kind of thing. Awesome. All right, there we have it. Thank you very much for coming on the show. All right, thank you. Keep uh, spreading the good word, my man. And uh, I'm looking forward to being a longtime listener. This has been a, just an enlightening conversation uh, as much as I felt it's been more of a lecture on my front, but uh, <laughs> I appreciate you taking it like someone drinking from a fire hose. I'm, I know when I get going, I'm like, uh, but man, thank you for this opportunity. Uh, truly honored and, and very proud to have had it. And uh, I, I feel like we're going to be having more conversations later. Now, if you enjoyed this episode and you've enjoyed some of my other episodes, it would be very, very helpful to me if you could share this with your loved ones, share this with your family and friends, and give this a review on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. That would be very, very helpful. Navigating the world of health and wellness is anything but straightforward. So if you're a little bit confused as to you know, what things are harmful, is this food good? Is this food bad? Well, spoiler alert, it's not that simple. However, I and many others have done the heavy lifting. So I put together a book called Return to Human, how modern medicine, the media, and the mundane have destroyed our immune systems and how to move back towards optimal health. The full version is available on Amazon. Now it's around 70 or 80 pages. And so it's really a simple guidebook that you can use and an introduction to all of the major aspects of health, which is why I think it's so helpful for people who are kind of confused and lost. Here's what I cover. I cover the top six aspects of health, which if compounded, if combined together, and all of these things are done properly, then you can have amazing effect on your overall health because you know unlike what many health gurus claim one thing will not make a healthy person multiple things will give you a one percent a two percent even a ten percent if you're lucky increase in your overall quality of life now that's what i set out to do when i wrote this book so i cover those top six i tell you very very simple things that one damage your immune health and your overall health two how you can do the appropriate thing based on research, right? And it's not a medical recommendation. Of course, I want you to do your own research. You are responsible for you, but it's a great starting point if you're a little bit confused. Now, I understand that right now you may not want to dish out a few dollars, even though it is $3 right now on Amazon. That's okay. Because mindset is inextricably tied to your immune health, So your emotional state, your mindset, all of that directly affects how your immune system functions in response to a virus or bacterial infection and so forth. So I made 
that chapter 100% free for you to download. It gives you some very simple tools that you can use to reduce stress, to calm the nervous system, all in a way that's free or very, very affordable. Now, if you want that, you can click the link in the description, which says free download to chapter two, or simply head over to livedamwell.com. I hope you check it out. I hope it helps, and I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.